Welcome to the Friends of a Feather podcast, a place where you will feel encouraged by hearing God's stories from my friends that I share with you. Whether you're listening on your commute to work, folding the laundry, or needing a boost of encouragement after a full day, I want for you to feel seen by God, to be encouraged in your daily life, and be spurred on to honor Him with the gifts and talents that He has given you. Well, hi, friend. Last time we were together, you heard from Beth McCord when she encouraged us how the gospel changes us. If you want to listen to Beth's story and be encouraged how she found the Enneagram personality system such a great tool when she was a wife and young mother, you can listen one episode back, number 128. Today's episode is with Lindsay LaVisca. Lindsay is a wife, mom of three, writer, and homeschool coach. I asked her to share her story of how 18 months after adopting her son, her family went from a calm home to one of chaos. But in that, Lindsay shares how God took her brokenness and mercifully showed her himself. I try not to ask questions that make my guests cry, y'all, but you know when us mamas talk about our kids, sometimes the tears just come out. If you are anything like me, this quarantine has brought out the tears. <laughs> not all frustration tears, joyful tears too, but the tears just come out. So here is my conversation with Lindsay. Well, welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Hey, Ren. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be great. This is so fun because uh, we both have a mutual friend, a new mutual friend, uh, no. Kelly, and yes. uh, she connected us, and I'm so glad she did. Oh, I'm so grateful to her. So grateful to her for that. So thank you. This is great. Well, when I heard your story and I started digging a little deeper into your story, I think that when my listeners hear your story, they are going to be so encouraged by that. And so that's what I want you to share today. So let's jump in. Um, can't wait. Let's do it, girl. I'm excited. Okay. All right. So before we start, let's uh, let you introduce yourself to my listeners and a little bit about your family. Okay. Well, my name is Lindsay LaVisca and I have been married to my husband, Ian, almost 19 years. We have three children. We have a 14-year-old daughter and 11-year-old daughter. And six years ago, we adopted a newborn little boy, and he is just a huge part of our story. <laughs> he has radically changed my life, changed me as a person, as an educator. My background is in teaching. I went to graduate school 20 years ago and got my master's in teaching and always loved, I've always been a kid person, always loved teaching and homeschooled my kids for the past 10 years. And it wasn't until my little boy just rocked our world and rocked our family. I mean, literally destroyed. And I say that, yes, it's a powerful word, but it's the truth because mm -hmm. we'll never be the same. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, we're on another side of it. Um, and so I'm just grateful to be here today to even just talk about it because six years ago, five years ago, four years ago, I would never, ever think, I didn't even think I'd probably be even sane at this point in the life. So I'm so grateful um, for the opportunity to, to talk today. This is just a, just even being here right now is um, just a gift from God. So I'm super grateful. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So Lindsay, so you've had a journey of some pain, some heartache in the last few years after adopting your son, it yes. led you to do a lot of research. Tell me when you started that journey. 
so basically when my second daughter was about five years old, my husband and I decided we were going to try for a third. And so, you know, it was wonderful. We got pregnant right away. Um, we lost that pregnancy right away, lost another one soon after that. And then we ended up, um, getting pregnant and, um, the pregnancy lasted about till halfway through the pregnancy. And then I ended up having to deliver my daughter stillborn. Um, and this was in December of 2012. And that rocked. I mean, that was the biggest grief I'd ever experienced in my entire life. And the reason it's part of the story, and I know so many women struggle with it, but in that season of grief for a good six months, the Lord met me in a way that I never would have met him. Um, and it was so intense and there was such a season of, uh, I was grieving so much for not only this daughter that I had held in my hands, but also just praying with him about this baby that I want, this baby number three, I prayed and prayed and prayed and I grieved and I sat in scripture and just memorized so much scripture in that time only because of his mercy. And it was the sweetest time in the whole wide world between me and Jesus. I wanted nothing more than my husband, interestingly enough, than my husband and Jesus. That's all I wanted. Even my girls who brought so much joy to my life prior to that, I, I was so down. It was so hard. Mm -hmm. Probably the closest I'd ever been to depression probably was actually. But um, I, it was literally almost a year to the day. It was just a few days off where we ended up walking out of the hospital with my son. So in 2013, December, 2013, we ended up, um, adopting him and walking out of the hospital about a year later with him. And it was very quick. Um, and that transition into our home, um, was wonderful and he was super easy and he just kind of flowed with our life and our homeschool schedule, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't until 18 months when everything went down mm. and he just completely, um, became that out of control child that, um, has now changed my life. Um, he stopped sleeping at 18 months. And when I say stop sleeping, I mean, he literally for more than 365 days straight did not sleep for more than two hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And he was, um, uncontrollable. So he would be, there's nothing he couldn't get into. He would run up and down the hallways. He could escape the house. Um, there was nothing he couldn't get to. If you, if you held, if you had something in like a safe with a code, he would find a way to get into it as soon as he was able to move, um, mm -hmm. which was about two, uh, no, he 17, 18 months is when the sleep stopped and the movement started. And then he just, just, mm -hmm. yeah, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Um, and what do you think, looking back on that, do you, what do you think was going on in his little heart and mind? Well, he was, um, we now know he had a severe speech delay because I didn't mention the screaming. So around that time at 18 months, around that time where the sleep stopped, also he couldn't talk. He struggled with a real severe speech delay. So what it looked like in our home was screaming, bloody murder. And I don't, there's no exaggeration. Anyone who knew us at the time, who knows us now, knows that that was our life. Everywhere we went, every second of the day, he was screaming, screaming out of frustration, screaming out of anger, screaming out of, I can't, I haven't gotten any sleep, right? This child could not sleep. He could not settle his mind. Um, so, and then it was any time, it's like he wanted to assert himself 
you know, he wanted to communicate his thoughts. At the time, I didn't know all of these things, but if you think as a woman, how much we get frustrated when we can't catch our words, right? Like mm-hmm. Sammy, Jobby, blah, blah, saying we're trying to get our kid's name out and we can't even get that. And that can be frustrating. Well, just imagine this little mm-hmm. mind who has no way of communicating, not, and he hasn't slept, no sleep. I mean, ooh, it was so hard. So that we now know there was some cognitive stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But in that growing, in that, you know, those early couple years, I was in the church and I was in my homeschool community with some people that I love so, so dearly. But we as moms, we have a mindset and we have perspective on how our children should behave. And so because my child screamed everywhere at all times and there was no controlling it, I couldn't, I could not control him at all. And then the behavior started where he was aggressive and he would hit me and he would kick me and scratch and bite. And my girls, um, I get so sensitive about my girls because, <clears throat> you know, my husband and I made this choice. We made a choice to adopt this little boy and bring him into our home. And where our home was relatively, you know, peaceful and it, there was routine and there was structure. And we had what I thought was the, the perfect Christian life, the perfect Christian family, you know. He, he, I had to focus so much, um, on keeping him safe and my girls safe and myself alive that I just, they, they really suffered a lot too. Their, their whole family just, their whole life just changed. Um, so I didn't mean to cry so much. Oh, you're fine. Um, There's a lot. There's, there's so much, um, but throwing glass across the room, breaking frames, Climbing, you know, running into the middle of the street because he saw a car coming, mm-hmm. escaping the house. Um, we had a house alarm, praise the Lord, so he could only get out usually a couple minutes before, you know, I could find him. Um, but it was really hard. And it was really hard. So how long did that go on? And how I'm going to ask you that. And then I'm going to ask you, how did you walk through that? And you're still alive to tell about it. <laughs> um, that went on for many years. Um mm-hmm. Uh, that went on for several years. Um, and it, it got to the point where, um, I just, I felt like such a failure, nothing that I did everything. Cause you know, when you're that new mama, especially a lot of us Christian mamas, you know, we want to, we want to honor the Lord. We want to do it right. And, you know, I cannot tell you every Christian book that I had read in seasons past for uh, my older children and every strategy that I knew to use, none of it worked. And it, it became, it was just isolating after a while because I couldn't bring him anywhere because where before, you know, we would go to homeschool co-op or we would go to church, we would go to this event or that event, you know, I could bring my girls and my girls were just, they would just, they were pretty obedient. Um, they were, I thought it was all because of me, you know, and my own self-righteousness didn't realize it at the time, but, um, I really struggled with the judgment and the stares and the, the own judgment that was going on in my own head. It went on for several years. I mean, this is not over. This is just, I'm so much more equipped and I'm learning. Um, he is a miracle now, but it took a long, long time to get there. And, um, yeah, it was a huge journey. Yeah. Okay. Well, and let me, uh, also ask you, so what was the turning point when you, 
Um, you know, I read in your book, you wrote a book called Behind the Behavior, Four Steps to Capture and Influence Your Child's Heart, Beliefs, and Behavior. And it's, it's an incredible book. And it's, uh, it tells, you tell your story, but then you also give a lot of practical tips. And that's what I love so much. But you did say in your book that you had to submit. So tell me what, what or who did you have to submit to? And how did you know you needed to submit? And what was just going on inside of you besides all of the, the doubt and the shame? Yeah, and all sure. Of that? Sure. Um, I tell a story in the book and I tell this a lot and I really feel like this was a huge turning point. And I don't know if you're specifically talking about this, but it was when I finally realized that I tell a story about it was a winter morning and I was just so desperate and so broken and I hadn't slept in forever. And I'm looking at my girls and my son is kicking me and scratching me and biting me. And I was about to lose my mind. And I reached out to a tribe of friends and I basically said, get me a Christian counselor, somebody get me a Christian counselor. And that, that was the turning point was mm-hmm. when I realized that I had to, I, like, if I didn't get help, I was not going to survive, mm-hmm. um, for my girls, um, it, nor for him. But at the time, you know, I was just, and so many adoptive moms feel this way and foster moms and parents in general feel this way. And so it needs to be spoken about, but it's just that anger and that rage and that you can actually feel. And that is just, it's God's mercy to have revealed that to me, how capable I am of just the type of sin that he talks about in scripture. And when we are, it just, it was, it was so good, but I needed to be broken to the point where I would be willing to recognize that I can't do it all, that I am not him and that I needed help. And it was getting Christian counseling and getting support and seeking that outside support and really teasing through a lot of the lies that I was believing about my value as a mother, my value as a person, who I was in Christ, about my faith, my salvation. That was the stuff that we worked through in counseling. And that, I say, that was the turning point, was navigating the dialogue in my head. And God has just revealed to me so much about, you know, Yes, I knew the scriptures, but the fact that Jesus constantly and God constantly tells us in scripture to take our thoughts captive to Christ, there is a reason that we are supposed to take those thoughts captive. Mm. And so often we as women, especially as moms and, you know, tradition, and sometimes in the more conservative um, realm, which, which is totally me, um, we believe that if we talk about that, which we're feeling, we're complaining and that God's going to be mad at us for complaining. No, 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 no. He tells us we're supposed to take our thoughts captive. And so anyways, it was that counseling was the biggest turning point for me as a mother. Mm-hmm. And then when I had the capacity, then there was more, I was able to therefore um, learn so much more from the specialists we were seeing and learn so much more about my child. And it just kind of snowballed from there. But that was the point. Mm-hmm. I had to work on me first. And that, because that's all I have control over, right? And I don't even have control over me, right? <laughs> that's why God sent mm-hmm. Jesus. <laughs> so that was the breaking point. Okay. Yeah. Well, and just for you to say that uh, about the about the control and everything, I just saw an Insta post from Susan Goss. She's a Christian counselor, and she said um, something about the circle where you know you have no control over 
what, who's in your circle. And I thought that's so, that's so interesting, but I want to say what I want to go back to what you said as well is this was the turning point for you. What was the turning point for your son? I know you talked to, uh, to a lot of specialists. Tell me what you yeah. learned and how did you start strategizing that for your own family? Yeah. So we had seen tons of specialists for him, occupational therapists, speech therapists, pediatric neurologists, all of that. But um, if a mom is going through this right now, um, uh, the number one change was when we met with our developmental pediatrician that we now know. Although I don't ever want to discredit because these specialists, so many of them are like, they're my people, they're my family, and we will never, ever, mm -hmm. like, these are my people. So I, I'm so cautious about that because there's so many people have a part of this journey, but his developmental pediatrician was a huge uh, winner, winner, chicken dinner. I mean, so now I was, I had capacity to start recognizing how, what I could do to help. And then I started learning more and more from her. Um, and so it was the developmental pediatrician. And when we recognized, and I don't know if you're getting to this point, this is something that not very many people have asked me about, but one of the things that we, I had to navigate, one of the lies I had to navigate, which relates to this developmental pediatrician is that a good mom doesn't drug her child. Um, and so one of the big things that I had to navigate was being willing to provide my child with medicine so he could sleep. And that was one of the first steps was allowing this child to sleep. Uh, I remember going into his room one night at two in the morning after, I mean, he was running up and down the stairs and the hallways and it got to the point where my husband and I, I mean, we barely slept 45 minutes at a time because our anxiety was so high because we knew he was going to wake us up and we couldn't sleep. But I remember being so frustrated with this little boy, so frustrated. And I went into his room. I am so emotional today. Forgive me. I went into his room at two in the morning because I had to get him back in there to keep him, you know, we got to go to bed, buddy. You got to go to bed. And I remember people telling me, you just need to nip that in the butt. You just need to nip that in the butt. You just got to make that kid sleep. And I'm like, I walked in there and I remember staring at him. I don't know if you even mentioned this in the book, but I remember staring at him, watching him, banging his little baby head up against the pillow because he could not settle his mind. This is a little boy. He could not settle his mind. It was a, it was a cognitive thing. It was going on in his brain and he couldn't do it. He was trying so hard and he would often sit in that room for hours at a time, keeping himself busy or just, you know, in the middle of the night by himself. And it was then that was a turning point, which then allowed me when we went to see his developmental pediatrician to recognize that, you know, we do live in a broken and fallen world and I have to do what's best for my child and allowing him to sleep medicinally. Cause that was, cause we tried everything. I was super, all the oils and I don't poo poo them. I think that there's a benefit to everything, all the, the supplements, everything. I had done everything I could, but getting him the sleep that he needed, that was the first step. Mm -hmm. And wow, that was just such a game changer for him and for me. And, um, Oh, I just want to squeeze him. I want to go get him right now. Mm. So. Well, and I, and I want you to, uh, this was a question later, but I want you to speak to the woman right now who is walking in your shoes that you were in a few years back and she is seeing this and she is not sure what to do. And she, you know, she's seen her child struggle. I, I do want to quote you before I ask this question. Sure. I'm going to change. I'm going to change. The Lord changed my mind. I like um, it. In your book, um, on page 31 and 32, you said, how about we cut our kids some slack and begin to relate with them 
about our own mistakes so that they see that this is quite normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I said that, when you read, when I read that, I just noticed that, you know, we begin to relate with them. You were talking about self-regulating for Mm -hmm. us as moms and Mm -hmm. self-regulating, you know, our kids, we talk about self-regulation where they're, you know, monitoring and using self-control and then, but you know, it's self-regulation for us as well. But I love how you said, and let's begin to relate with them. And so at that moment, it seems like when you were seeing him, you know, hit his head on the pillow over and over, you related with him, you empathized Mm -hmm. and said, he cannot do this. This is not something he can control. And so I, I love that you said that. And so uh, I, I just wanted to mention that because I think that is, that is truly um, so important for us as moms to see if we have a child that's struggling is to empathize and see and to relate with them for sure. Um, And so tell that mom, talk to that mom right now who is, in the midst of this and she sees and she knows her son or daughter is struggling, but she doesn't know what to do. So encourage, speak to her in her life right now. Well, I would, first of all, just want to tell her that this is not your fault. And speaking to what Ren just brought up, um, one of the big aha moments for me was, and is recognizing, really recognizing friend that I'm not God. And that none of us are God. This was a huge game changer. I feel like there's so many game changers. But to that mama, I want her to think about, we say we know that we're not God, right? We say that God is the one that's all powerful. And yet we believe, we believe that we are supposed to control our children. And it was that understanding that God who could control us. It was, I was in the bathroom when I remember, when I when I was like, oh my gosh, this is what you wanted me to know. And isn't Lord. that always how, where it happens? It's either yeah. the shower or the bathroom. Uh-huh. You're like, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> oh, I love the bathroom. It's a holy place, right? It, thank you, Jesus, for the bathroom because <laughs> my, mom's everywhere or a closet. Mom's everywhere would never <laughs> think again. By or a pantry. Or a pantry. Right? Or pantry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just pray there's no chocolate chips in the pantry <laughs> at the time. Um, so it was, it, I want her to know that for some reason we have been believing this lie that we're supposed to control our children. Mm -hmm. That if you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, if you're praying hard enough, if you're doing this, if you're doing that, that it's all up to us to control our children. And God revealed to me, and I encourage moms so much now, that God is the only one that could control. He's the only one that has power enough to control another human being. And yet he chooses not to, and to your point, he chooses not to control us and therefore send his son to live the perfect life, die on the cross, raise again, so that we could have relationship with him. God seeks us through relationship, not while we were perfect, right? And that's how we need to meet our children. We have these expectations of our children, really, to make us look good. Because everyone tells us that if you're a good mom, your child is going to look like this. If you are following what scripture says, then your child will look like this. But that is not the truth. That is not the truth. We, God came to us while we were still sinners. And the way that we change, the way that he changes us, and we use the term sanctification, but the way that he influences us to be more like his son is through relationship. Mm. Why did I not understand this before? God 
did not, Jesus didn't come to the perfect. Jesus didn't come to those who are perfectly obedient. In fact, those that are perfectly obedient, let's look at the thoughts, right? We judge because we're incapable of being perfect. So yes, the relationship piece is everything, Ren. And I get super passionate about it because I was believing that I was supposed to do this. And because people were telling me, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Or maybe you should ignore him. That was a good one. That was so helpful. Um, but honey, but really, I felt I was the same way. Now I know. Now I know how judgmental I was. And that was God's mercy to shred me so much and um, use this precious baby boy to change me. And so, yes, it's all about relationship. I, my whole life has changed as a mother, how I, even my 14-year-old, my 11-year-old, my husband, every person I encounter. It's so different now. It's so different because outward behavior is just a sign of stuff going on inside. Again, taking our thoughts captive. God looks at the heart. But yet when our kids are melting down, a lot of times to that mom, okay, this is who I really want to just support is that mom who knows who knows deep down inside that there has to be a different way, that there has to be going, something going on, but she's hearing what she's been told in the church and in our culture and from the schools and from the experts about, you need to nip it in the bud. You need to take control of your kid, that this is unacceptable behavior. And if you let it go, meaning if you don't come at them with authoritarian sledgehammer, if you let it go, they're gonna be like that their whole lives. But I will tell you, my boy, as soon as I stopped getting offended or fearful that his behavior was a reflection of me, and when I realized that something was going on in here, and then I started relating to his emotions and his frustrations, now I see mine all the time. And I started giving him words. Oh, buddy, you're feeling frustrated because you really want that cookie and mommy said not now or mommy said dinner whatever you're feeling frustrated i'll never forget the first time instead of getting mad at him instead of saying absolutely not no sir absolutely not because what does that do fight or flight kicks in which god in his mercy has given us the ability to respond in the face of threats to keep ourselves alive right away when we're born um fight or flight kicks in and then they can't receive it they can't receive anything. So I'll never forget the first day he used the word frustrated. Mm, mommy, I'm so frustrated because he slowly started getting language. Language acquisition happened once we started getting sleep. He could not even process or receive language until he was able to get that sleep. The other thing I want to say to that mama is he looked like he had ADHD and he you know, he probably diagnosed, probably could, um, but anxiety, again, fear, anxiety looks in children just like ADHD. So the fact that I couldn't take him anywhere without him ripping things apart or exploring or climbing up things, it was anxiety. Um, again, is this is a whole brain thing. So I want to encourage her to give herself incredible grace and to know that there is a different way and that she does not have to have a heavy hand, that Jesus does not have a heavy hand with us. We, no matter what we do, no matter how much we screw up, we could always go back to him. And he's not surprised at our screw ups ever. He's not surprised. He designed us. He knew us before we were born, before the foundation of the world. Well, if that's the truth, which it is, 
then he's not surprised. And when we look, when we say things like, God's just looking down on me and he's like, uh, 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 um, that's not God. That's somebody who told you that's what God's looking at you and mm-hmm. talking to you that way. But that's not what scripture says. Yeah. So I just want to encourage her and I want to give her a hug and let her know she is doing such a good job. She's doing such a good job and she is dealing with the messy and broken mm-hmm. of this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so encouraging. And I love what you said when you were talking about relationship, it's relationship. So what, what were the verses or the, the things about the Lord that just deepened your relationship with him? Were there any verses that you were clinging to during this time or was there a character quality of the Lord that you just, it just went deep in your heart? Um, I spoke about this recently. It's interesting because the reason I brought up the infertility season and that season of grief, because in that season of grief, like I said, the Lord and I have the sweetest, sweetest time where I memorize more scripture than I ever had in my entire life. And a lot, a lot of scripture, right? And it was, I was in pain and I was suffering and I'm longing for this baby and confused and God just met me so deeply. But then fast forward in that season with no sleep and screaming and living like I was in a war zone, I could not hear from God. I could not hear from him. And I would get up, you know, after having maybe three hours of broken sleep after the hundredth day, desperately trying to do the right thing because we are supposed to get up in the morning. This is what we're told. We're supposed to get up in the morning and have our quiet time. And that was my norm. That was my norm before. So I would try desperately. Oh, if only I have my 15 minutes, if I can have 15 minutes with God before, then the day is going to be so much better because remember, it's all about what I do. That was my thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get trapped in. And in that season, I remember looking at scripture and it was like, it literally felt dead. And I asked God the hard, hard questions. Like, is this real? Is this real? And what he kept doing, and this is what got me through to speak to your point. It was all that scripture that he had poured into me years before in my grief. And, and I mean, just literally the, I would continually hear <laughs> and it was like, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Because in my mind, I was like, was my faith only real then because it was cushy and I was comfortable and it was, it was safe. And, and those are the questions I was asking him. Mm-hmm. And it was he who began a good work. And it was also, um, you know, it says that God works all things for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. But then a sweet friend reminded me right after I lost my baby. The next verse says, because those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many. Meaning that God was using all this for my good. And it was because and this pain and the suffering, I had to cling to it and believe that this pain and the suffering that my whole family was feeling, not just me, my whole family was because he was wanting us to look more like Christ, that I would be humble, that I would recognize the broken places of judgment. And half the judgment I felt was the stuff that I had in my own head, the stuff that I used to do, the thoughts I used to have towards another mother whose kid was freaking out in Target. Oh, she better get her kid together. That was my self-righteous pride. That was my self-righteousness. That was the Pharisee in me. And because of that suffering, so I cling to that verse, but I clung to it as truth. I don't feel this, God. I don't feel it, but your word is truth. And I'm going to cling to this and I'm going to repeat it out loud. And I'm going to remind myself. And when I'm mad at you, I know you're big enough to handle it. Now I know that. Now I know I don't have to be afraid of my feelings. I don't have to be afraid when I'm frustrated. 
I don't have to be afraid. God knew this. Mm. Um, so I hope that speaks, speaks to that mama who doesn't even feel like she, Jesus hears her because mm. he does. He does. I promise you. And he's going to use this for your good and for your family and for the world and for him. Well, I love that scripture. When you were speaking, I was thinking of that scripture that says that if you are comforted, then you will be able to comfort others. And I I see that now in your ministry and in your business. And so uh, that is the coolest thing is that when you were just desperately seeking him, memorizing that scripture, that he put that down deep. And then now you have walked through this path and now you can comfort others because of the comfort that Jesus has given you. And that's, that's immeasurable. I mean, that's priceless. That's priceless. Yes. So let's move into, tell us what kind of resources that you have, that you are out there sharing with women that maybe have a story similar to yours and they're walking this path. Tell us about the resources that you have. Yeah. Well, um, I started my organization, A Heart for All Students. Um, it stemmed from uh, what was happening is, is as a teacher, and even though we homeschool, you know, homeschoolers don't stay home. And so I was teaching a class for, even during this time, I was teaching this writing and uh, English grammar class for this co-op that we were involved in for years. And what ended up happening is I started noticing my students differently. I started seeing in them, oh, that little boy that's wiggly or the little girl that's talking. Oh, they're not trying to be disobedient. They're feeling itchy or they need to move or they're distracted, just like I get distracted. So we're going to, I teach very differently. And I started tutoring some children um, on a very regular basis. And I started having parents call me because they had a more outside the box thinker. And as I've learned so much about the brain, I just have such a heart for that child that grows up feeling like they're not enough because they may be a wiggle worm or they're very outspoken and they get in trouble a lot. And the long-term mental health implications for these children in a traditional, when parents and educators are approaching them traditional ways with that mindset that if this, then that, and that it's all willful, right? Um, That scares me for these kids. And I, have a passion for these kids and realized working one-on-one with them, which is what I was doing. And I was working one-on-one with um, parents looking for help. Like these are the behaviors of my child. What type of specialist should I see? Because my network in this Charlotte area of specialists is just, these are my people now. And I realized that I needed to, that I realized that God was calling me to lay down working one-on-one with the children, which killed me. But I realized that in order to make a difference, like my dream is by the end, by the time I die, that the narrative for children that are wired differently will be so different that these kids will thrive as the people and with the passions and the gifts and the talents that God has given them. So my heart in my organization is to equip moms. So my heart is I give, I do homeschool and parent coaching for moms who have outside the box thinkers, whose kids may, maybe they have a diagnosis of ADHD or of autism or of sensory processing um, disorder. In my mind, this is just this whole, there's this whole term neurodiversity that we say that we celebrate diversity in our country and in our culture and even within our churches, but we forget that God's designed us all uniquely. And that doesn't just include our physical features. It includes how we're wired. And so I believe that every child can thrive as the people that God has designed or the person God's designed them to be. So my heart is moms. So I have 
a private community within Facebook that I go and I answer questions and we just support each other, um, particularly as believers. Um, and it's to not just look at outward behavior as willful, but to look at the whole picture and reach the heart of our kids the way they need to be reached. Because again, God's designed us all differently. So I do homeschool coaching and parent coaching and, um, I just love it. And I see the difference with the moms and I have a course that's coming up soon named after this book. Um, we did a beta course and just seeing the difference with the moms that took the course and listening to them now in the group and just celebrating the wins with their kids has just been such a blessing. So that's what I do rambling, but no, I love that's, awesome. that's great. Okay. So I'm going to ask you my last question, but before I do, I have another question. What is one practical tip? that yeah. you could give a mom that maybe has a learner that is learning uh, differently? Okay, so if we're talking school, if we're talking school, my number one tip right now, and I've just posted, I have a bunch of videos too on YouTube and on my website, so lots of resources there that are totally free, totally free. Um, my number one tip right now for the mom that's home, with her, we're, they're all home, we're all home, yeah. okay, <laughs> is capture this season as the gift that it is because it is a gift and I'll tell you what you can do to capture the season as the gift that it is is you find the gaps in your ed child's education so for example today I have a I have a video and a blog that just came out about math look at your child and see where are what foundational skills are they missing because most kids if they are struggling if you have a child that comes home and they're like, I can't do it, or they cry, or they melt down, this is not a willful thing. This is an educational gap. So I am telling every parent, focus on the foundational skills. Um, I don't care if your kid's in eighth grade or ninth grade. If your child doesn't, for a math particularly, if your child does not have those basic foundational skills, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, use this opportunity to strengthen those because everything else depends on that. They will thrive and be so much farther off if you end up putting your child back in traditional school later if you spend the season really focusing on those foundational skills. And that would be the same for reading. If your child is struggling with reading, then, and I've got resources on my page and I've got videos about it too, then we need to, if your child's struggling with reading comprehension, there's a reason, there's a gap. So I'm all about finding the gaps and filling in this time because your child can thrive. Even if your child's in high school, if they are struggling in math, go back to the basics, use this time. They'll be better off for it in the long term if you, if you use it now um, to really strengthen those foundational skills. That's Reading, great. writing, math. That's Focus great. I, I already know we're going to go get some, uh, do some math facts. <laughs> That's right. And there's tons and, and I've got other resources too. Just come to look at the, look okay. at the post today. There's a lot of stuff. We'll put do. that all on the show notes, yeah. uh, in the show notes, but where can people find you online? Okay. Um, I am on every social media platform except Twitter. And this is not because I like social media. It's just kind of happened. And mm -hmm. so anyways, but you can find all of that information on my website, which is www.aheartforallstudents.com. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and um, even YouTube. We started posting all these videos that I've been doing. So right. why not? Right? That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. So let's get to the last question. It's my eat, read, love. What snack are you eating? What have you read lately? And what are you loving? Okay. So, okay. I'm going to go to the book first because I'm crazy. Is that okay? Like, no, just definitely. Totally outside the box. Okay. Definitely. Parents, 
it's the most fascinating book in the whole wide world. I'm going to totally sound like a geek, but this is what I love to read about neuroscience in the brain. And um, because I have a heart for adoption, the book is um, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog by Dr. Bruce Perry. It is, there's very little, like one page about a boy being raised as a dog. This is all about um, trauma, brain development. Any person who reads this book, any person who wants to, maybe if they're an adoptive parent, foster parent, or if they have a child that struggles behaviorally, read this book. It is fascinating. It will teach you so much about the brain in a way that is edible, and it will help you when you know more about the brain to better teach and reach your child. Best book that I have read so far, and I've read a ton. Um, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, Eating, I would love to say apples and (laughs) carrots, and yep. But in this season, my daughter has been loving baking, and her mother has been loving chocolate chip cookies way too much. Um, So we're just going to have to rein that in, but there's grace. (laughs) There's grace for the season. And I want to encourage my daughter and her skills. There you go. There you go. And taste, you have to taste test. Of course. I have to taste test, of course. Um, And then what was my, what was the third one? What am I loving? I'm loving just my time with my kids and my honey. I'm loving having my husband home um, because he doesn't normally work from home loving having my honey home. So yeah, I say my honey and then my kid time. Just, I just love this. Yeah. Not, it's not always easy, but I'm so loving it. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast today, Lindsay. This is chock full of biblical truth and practical tips and all the things. So I, I appreciate you sharing your story and being open and honest and vulnerable about it. Oh, girl, I'm so grateful. Super grateful. I'm so grateful to get to know you now. I'm so happy for our friend that connected us. Super happy. Well, I hope and pray that this was a great episode of encouragement to you during this time of sheltering at home and quarantining and uh, just during this time of realizing how broken this world really is, but how there is hope in Jesus. And after listening to this episode, I would love to hear what you thought. Come over to Instagram, say hi, DM me, and I would love to chat with you. Also, remember all the links that uh, Lindsay mentions of the book and where you can find her will be at renrobbins.com under the podcast tab. So you can find those there. And I want to share something, just a gift that I received today that the Friends of a Feather podcast was featured in the top 50 moms in podcasting and we were featured as number four. That was just, a, came as a surprise and just a sweet, sweet gift to me today. And I'm so grateful that y'all tune in every week and send reviews to Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends. And I'm just so grateful for y'all. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I cannot believe I get to do what I get to do. (laughs) This is uh, a dream. This is a dream. So thank you so much for that. And remember, we're all friends of a feather. So let's stick together. Have a great week. And I'll see you next time. Bye, friend.